Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 137 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 29th. 2010. We've got a really good show for you on the podcast. We're going to talk about the preseason USC going 4-0 and then trying to start the real season with Washington coming to the Coliseum on Saturday. If you have any questions or comments, always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address. We've got a bunch of email questions today. We also got some voicemail questions. So if you want to hear your voice on the podcast, just call us 206-888-6755. That's 206-888-6755. Five, five, leave a voicemail, your name, where you're calling from. We will try to answer your question on the podcast. We always love to talk to the coach, Harvey Hyde. He's on our first segment. Coach, how are you doing today? Brian, I'm doing great, buddy. I tell you, it's a big week for Trojan fans and a big uh, Pac-10 game for the Trojan uh, football program. And uh, I, t- I can't get any better. No, certainly not. And it's... Uh, USC's 4-0. They've actually moved up in the polls the last week. Instead of moving down three weeks in a row, they moved up a little bit, and they got Washington, a revenge game this weekend. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of potential for some, some good things to happen around the USC football program now. Well, I do, and I think this is one of those statement games for USC. You know, people have been talking about the schedule and so on, and the schedule hasn't been one that has been really fierce as far as looking at rankings. You've got Virginia. Uh, who I would say is probably the toughest team they played. They're currently two and one. Hawaii is two and two. I'd say that's the toughest, second toughest team. Minnesota would be the third. They're currently one and three. And Washington State, I'd have to say, is the worst Pac-10 team I've seen in a long time. Wow. Who they beat last week uh, is one and three. So it's time for a statement game. And when I call it a statement game, it's time to play a team that's got a lot of respect. Now their record isn't real good. Don't get me wrong. They've lost to BYU, who's one and two. They beat Syracuse, which is in a, a giant, and they and they lost to Nebraska, fifty six to what, sixteen or something at home. So they haven't had a great season. So it's a statement game. This is when you know you sort of have a payback game, like last year, what happened in Husky Stadium, and people aren't thinking that the the Trojans are that good, and Washington's saying they aren't that good, and they're coming down into a recruiting area that. All of them live off of. So this is a statement game for both programs. So it's time for a 4-0 team to show a 1-2 and team just how good they are. Right, we'll see if they do it this weekend, Coach. Well, let's, uh, I want to thank our sponsor for this segment, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com. You need tickets for this weekend for USC Washington. Go to SCTickets.com or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. Thanks to Southern California Tickets for sponsoring the segment with Coach Harvey Hyde. And, Coach, we've got a lot of questions. You want to get to some of these? Let's get to them because when people take time to call in or email you questions and so on, Ryan, I feel we have an obligation to answer their questions. We try. We try to get them all on there. We can't get them all every week, but we do We do our best. And the uh, first one, voicemail question. Again, if you want to call our voicemail, 206-888-6755. This one is from an international question, Coach. Here we go. Hey, Ryan. It's uh, Michael from Toronto, Canada, calling. Um, love your show. Listen to it every week. You guys do a fantastic job. Uh, just a quick comment. I was at my first college football game this past weekend in Minneapolis. <clears throat> Got the privilege of meeting a handful of players at their hotel there, and uh, I must say I was very impressed with each and every one of these guys. They were polite, cordial, welcoming, and posed for pictures. And, again, my appreciation goes to those guys. who got a great bunch of kids on our team. Um, to my questions, first question just looking at Matt Barkley, and again, this is not meant to be a criticism of him, but his arm strength sometimes seems to be lacking on certain throws. I notice that his ball sometimes doesn't have a tight spiral on it. I was just wondering, is this a mechanical issue with him, or is it sometimes maybe just not setting himself properly for the throws? Second question, um, I met David Osbury outside the hotel on the weekend. I must say, this guy is an absolute physical freak looking at him. 
Um, you would think his production would be a little bit better than it has been. Um, what, what do you guys think about his performance and maybe what he needs to work on to improve to become that elite-type receiver, which I think he can be down the road? Um, and P.S., i got to say, Robert Woods can flat out fly. Love your show, guys. Have a great week, and look forward to the Washington State game. Ciao. So he said that one actually before the, the after the podcast aired last week before the Washington State game. So, uh, but it, I think the questions still apply. That coach, what do you think? Well, you got to help me. He had three parts. What was the first? Okay, one? So the first one he wanted to talk about the arm strength with uh, with Matt Barkley, oh, yeah. and sometimes the the ball is in a spiral. Which, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, coach, but I don't know. I don't think I think he has a strong arm, but I know what he means. That just because the ball doesn't spiral all the time doesn't mean your arm strength is lacking. I I, I don't know if there's a correlation there. Well, I tell you, for a guy that hadn't seen a football game in person, he certainly didn't notice that. And I tell you, I congratulate him because I've seen that and noticed that a lot, too. And I noticed that from the very beginning. It hadn't really changed from when he came in as a freshman. Uh, his ball does sometimes sail, and that's why sometimes he gets in trouble and he overshoots his receivers or and so on. But uh, that's part of experience and part of uh, growing up, and his arms should get stronger. And, and so on. But he does have a strong arm, where, where, and he does at times uh, be a little erratic, if you, if, you, if you want me to say that. Not just mentally as far as trying to force a football in there, but sometimes not a good throw. But most of the time, you know, he's passing the ball uh, well, and, uh, you know, he leads the nation in touchdown passes thrown and so on, so it can't be that bad. But again, he said, I had that opportunity to throw a lot of touchdown passes. What I mean by that, he's got great receivers. I think the greatest group of receivers in the country, as you mentioned, on Osbury. And Osbury's not even a starter. So you can imagine the type of receivers that he has at USC. And uh, uh, I, I, think, I think he's adequate. Let me put it to you that way. Is he the best in the Pac-10? Not yet. Can he be the best in the Pac-10? Uh, he can uh, I think what's hurt Matt Barkley the most is the raves that he got as far as coming in and starting as a freshman at USC. Everybody expected Superman. And, uh, yes, uh, he can do that, but you can't expect a young kid to play like Superman immediately. I, I think it was unfair to him how he was built up to be such a tremendous uh, quarterback without having him time to develop himself into that type of player and he was been forced to to you know sort of carry the team he needs to more or less spread the spread the love spread the wealth around a little bit and he's learning to do that but uh, can he develop will he develop to be a great quarterback he will does his ball flutter at times yes it does can he correct that he can over a period of time with a lot of hard work all right well thanks for that one mike all the way from canada next one we're going up the pacific northwest where what US... about asbury did i answer that yeah Lance. oh sorry oh did we start the next question there oh uh you wanted to yeah just talking about osbury i mean you mentioned him i mean i, I mentioned him he's a great player he's got to find a position to play is he going to be a split receiver in the nfl no is he going to be a tight end in the nfl no what is he going to be? I think he's going to be a slot type of receiver in the NFL or somewhere uh, where if they had an H back in the NFL, he would play that. But uh, right now, he's one of those tweeners. He's a great athlete. I agree with him completely as far as a specimen, but he's got to find a place to play by either gaining weight and becoming a tight end or losing weight and becoming a receiver. And I don't think it helped him that he had to kind of do both. He had to gain weight for the spring, and then he's lost some weight now. He's a big, big kid. But there is a lot of potential there. And I, they're starting to use him more. You know, they're, they're throwing the ball to him. He's got to make sure he gets his hands on those balls. If they can use him in two-point conversions like they did with Jordan, you know, or like a Jordan Cameron kind of thing, they can both do similar things. I think it would be a great spot for Mr. Osbury. But he, he's been able to break the big play, too. He had that, I think, it was the opening game against Hawaii. He broke that big touchdown. So Yeah, he did. You know, you got to wrap up to tackle him. And if you don't, he's off to a long game, game, especially if you're playing man, because he's not slow. He's fast for a big guy. All right, well, let's go to that question. I started to play it before. We'll, we'll replay that uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. Here we go. Yeah, Lance from Seattle. A uh, couple, two questions. Number one, with Lane wanting to run the ball so much and make that his identity, just curious as far as uh, offensive line recruits coming in. And number two, uh, I know it's the national media just bashing Kiffin and everybody jumping on the bandwagon, but I'd like to know, like, with, with, with Petrino and Saban, how they left some programs, Petrino leaving a note in locker, why they don't get any bad press. Uh, thanks again, and uh, fight on. 
Well, uh, first of all, the offensive line, uh, the offensive line is developing. There's been a lot of questions in the offensive line, firstly because of lack of depth and so on. Uh, they've played off and on good games and average games and so on. Yes, you do have to have an offensive line that's very aggressive to have a running game. You you got you can have great backs unless you block up and you're solid up front. It's very difficult to to move the football, but people start to play on your side of the line of scrimmage and they penetrate and they throw you for a loss before you get started. So it's very important that your offensive line seals the line of scrimmage and drives the opponent back and creates seams of like for the stretch play in certain plays they run for the back to use his God-given talent to find that seam and hit it or break back across the over-pursuit. So the offensive line uh, has challenges. They will face a defensive line this week that is better probably than any defensive line they've played. I was very impressed with the Virginia defensive line. I thought they were hungry. They were aggressive. They attacked USC's defensive offensive line. So they'll find a line that's a little bit more physical, maybe as quick as Virginia. So it'll be a big challenge for the offensive line for USC to play against the University of Washington this week. And it's only going to get worse as you move on in the Pac-10. It really is when you play Stanford and you play Oregon and you play a lot of these other teams who really do have outstanding defensive fronts, front sevens. So uh, I think the offensive line is going to be really challenged this week and the rest of the season against their opponents that they'll be playing. So the running game is key, but the offensive line is key to the running game. And uh, what was the second part of that, uh, Ryan? The bad press. Kiffin does get a lot of bad press, but guys like Saban and Petrino and stuff, why aren't they getting the same kind of bad press? Well, you know, they're sort of legends. They're guys that have been around for a long time. They've they've learned how to handle the press. The press is a little bit more intimidated by them. You know, Petrino, uh, when he sits up there, you know, he deserves all the respect he gets. He's had very little, uh, if you know, NCAA violations of any type. But if you go back about three or four years, or maybe five years, the press was all over Paterno. Tell him it was time for him to step down. He's it's time. He's too old. He should step down. This president should make a move and this and that. And they they were on him. They were on him. But he turned it around, and now he's back winning and so on. So, you know, winning solves all the problems. And Joe Paterno's this type of guy. He's a gentleman. I mean, he's amazing for what he can do. He's absolutely amazing how he got hurt on the sideline and so on. He coached in the press box. He comes back and he gains respect from people from being his age, running off the field, getting officials' faces, supporting his players, and also suspending his players, and uh, running a, a straight ship when his teams fly, uh, travel and, and so on. They wear coat and ties and so on. A lot of teams don't do this, but he does it the old-fashioned way, and it works. And, and uh, Saban down in Alabama, Saban is uh, in football country. He's a legend. He's protected by the media there. But I'll tell you what, if he was to lose a few games, you'd see that turn immediately. You would say he's lost it, he's got this, he's got that. But when you win and you've been around college programs like he has and he's won everywhere he's been from Michigan State to LSU to Alabama and so on, well, you build up a, a, a tradition of of respect, and I think that these two coaches now, Paterno and Saban, have respect from the media. But don't think the media won't get on them if there's a reason to. Yeah, and then just uh, one quick point on that. I mean, Lane Kiffin right now is low-hanging fruit. It's really easy. Only the contrarians are going to go out there and say that you shouldn't be bashing Kiffin. If it's just easy for everyone to do, they're going to do it right now. But they, he's got a great situation where they're starting four and zero. They got, they have a good chance to win. You know, double-digit games this year with you know the worst offseason in in college football history, most likely. The fact that if he can come through that and win some games and show people that he can call a good game offensively, he he turned Jonathan Crompton of Tennessee from a bum into a, a fifth-round draft pick. He's got he can set it up. It's just going to take a little bit of time, and then people will kind of warm up. As long as he doesn't get sanctions and things like that, more you know, more things added, more violations and stuff. So it's just going to take a little while. He is low-hanging fruit for the national media right now, so he's just getting bashed around and. I think that'll change, you see, by the end of the season. If they do win 10, 11 games, something like that, I think the perception of him is certainly going to change. All right, so let's stay, Coach, up in the Pacific Northwest. we got another question from up there. Here we go. Hi, uh, this is Doug from uh, Camino, Iowa, in Washington State. I'm an old guy, so i got to go, go along pretty slow here. 
My first question is, when is SC going to stop becoming the number one penalty loaded team in the country? It's just uh, other teams don't seem to have this problem. What is it that they do that SC doesn't do? Second question I had is, when is Mustaine going to be used more? He get, usually ends up in a cleanup spot, and he doesn't get a chance to get any rhythm going. But that's my two, and I'll wait to hear it. Well, let me tell you, penalties are something that haunt all programs and all coaches. You hate to have penalties, you hate to have turnovers and so on. And <laughs> Excuse me. Sometimes you just hope your team is good enough to overcome the penalties. Um, you have to work on it hard to correct it. Uh, right now, uh, when you have uh, a team where you have a lot of depth and there's calls that are made for holding and so on, uh, then sometimes players just aren't good enough to, to, to block the guy they're playing against. So they go to alternate means and trying to to make the block or not allow the sack. And these things, you know, you, you do as a normal movement. I mean, if you're getting beat on something, then you'd go to all alternatives uh, of trying to make, be successful and hope that the official misses it. Now, that isn't always the case. There are also, you know, uh, sideline hits where you knock somebody out of bounds or out of position and you're getting beat on a pass so you you don't cover the receiver cor- uh, correctly and you get a pass interference call. There's a lot of stupid penalties that happen too, but you're just out of position or you're not using your head and you're being over-aggressive on the sideline or you're spearing or you're doing things like that that are just uncalled for or you're talking too much and the official penalizes you for that. So, you know, and you can't call it really a lack of discipline. Sometimes you call it a lack of not scrimmaging enough, a lack of not having the full speed action at you every day where you become accustomed to full speed, and then you start to play at that pace all the time. So when it's game day, you don't have to go to a different alternate uh, technique or you can't control yourself as far as, hitting someone out of bounds when they're on the sideline and so on, and you don't do stupid things. But penalties sometimes happen. I've had teams that have been the most penalized team in the country, and I can't figure it out. I've, I've tried to you know, tell them I'm going to bench them all and so on, but I can't because my best players are doing it. And sometimes you just hope that you overcome them and you're good enough to overcome them. But in the long run, if you don't overcome those penalties, then what's going to happen? It's going to beat you. In close games, when you play a disciplined football team and so on, you're going to get beat. So you can't have teams that are penalized. How you correct them, if you have players that you can substitute for players who are not playing correctly and making these type of penalties, you do that. If you don't have players, then you try to plead with those players to be in a better position or use their judgment better to not get these type of penalties. So it's a very thin line, and it's a very difficult thing to correct. And sometimes it's just plain common sense or what you call intelligence as far as being able to do the correct thing at the correct time so that you don't uh, get these type of penalties. Most times, officials talk to you. During the game, officials will tell you, number 72, I'll let you go on that one, but you're holding the kid. Let him go. They'll warn you a couple times. So it's like the sideline. They'll come to you on the sideline and say, Coach, if you don't keep your guys back a little bit, I'm going to have to flag you. Officials are good guys. Officials aren't bad guys. They're out there to do their job. And if they don't make the calls to do the things that are necessary, then the game gets completely out of hand. Now, what was the second part of that I, question? I These guys give me two, three questions, and I can't remember them. <laughs> well, I'm impressed by Doug. I mean, he's, he's an older gentleman, like he said. He's listened to the podcast. This is high-tech stuff. I mean, I, don't, I never even listened to the podcast until I started doing one. So congrats to Doug on that. He wanted to know about uh, Mitch Mustaine as well. Yeah, I think Mitch Mustaine's a great great quarterback, okay? If you saw him last week, you saw him throw four for five and a touchdown pass to Stanley Havili. He was completely in control of the game. The uh, Trojans had the game won, so they really didn't throw the ball that much. They ran Baxter a lot of times. That's where he got his 15 carries as far as towards the end of the game for 75 yards. But... I think Mitch Mustaine is probably, I don't want to, I don't know every team in the country, but probably the best backup quarterback in the country. I'll tell you, he's, 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 he's a quality kid. He's had a chance to transfer. He's been waiting for his turn. He hasn't got his turn. When he gets his turn, he'll be there. So 
who knows? I think he'll be in the NFL for many years. Will he be a starter in the NFL? I don't know. Can he become a starter in the NFL? Yes, just like Matt Castle. He had to be a backup to Brady for a while, and then the opportunity came when Brady got hurt, and he stepped in and played. So I think he's a great player. Can they play him more? Well, they really haven't blown out anybody that bad to play any backup quarterbacks until last week. They've had close games against Virginia, Hawaii, Minnesota was, what, 32 to 23 or 21 or something like that. That is a blowout. You don't start substituting that much. So when you have close games, it's very difficult to substitute, especially at quarterback because a quarterback is the battery to your engine. So unless a quarterback really doesn't play well, there's no reason to make a change. And this has sort of haunted Mustaine since he's been at USC. And, Doug, I agree with you. I'd like to see him get in. I've tried to ask coaches about when he'd get some significant playing time that was meaningful, and they haven't really had an answer. So we'll see. Maybe they'll get to use him a little bit more. He does get to run those two-point conversions in or try to at least. So he's got that going for him. Well, Coach, let's let's go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Did you? I was laughing when you said two-point conversions. (laughs) He he got one this last weekend. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Let's go to SEC country, Coach. Question from down there. Here we go. Hello, Ryan. This is Tom calling from Arkansas, a dedicated Trojan fan. I'm concerned about Matt Barkley's interceptions. I watched videos, I guess it was from spring practice or summer, and he telegraphs his passes. Uh, You could see it in so many of those videos, just wondering if that's what caused the interceptions. And are the coaches working with him to get him to look the other way and to fake a pass and uh, to do something. Uh, if not, we're going to get killed when we play the tough teams on our schedule this year. Um, have you got any information on that? Thank you. Well, i tell you what, down in Arkansas, you better be careful down there if you're an <laughs> SC Trojan fan. I'll tell you, they don't, they don't like the Trojans down there because of the beatings they got down there. But I'll tell you, you're right on Matt Barkley. You know, uh, right now he doesn't look off that often. He should spread the look around the field more. I agree with you 100. percent And he gets a little bit um, flustered and he tries to force balls in there on guys that are covered. First of all, it's not a sin to throw an incomplete pass. Uh, last weekend, let's give you an example. SC blocks the punt. Horton blocks the punt against Washington State on first down. They decide to throw the football down there, which I don't understand. And immediately, there's an interception. I mean, he's got to understand it's first down. I don't need to force this ball in there because we got three more downs. And from there, they probably could have run the ball in on two downs. But he's got to understand down-distance situations and don't force the football in there. And if someone's covered, don't worry about throwing the ball away or, or if the field is all covered. There's nothing wrong to throw the ball away. And he's got to understand that. So he tries to make a lot of big plays because he feels he has to make big plays. Mentally in his mind, he's been reading all the hype about himself and so on. And it's just hard not to believe a lot of the things you read. And sometimes you over-try. You over-try, and he seems to me over-try to make big plays. I think he throws a beautiful ball. I think he ought to throw more passes to Ron Johnson. I think he's the top, one of the top receivers in the country, and they could really utilize him, which would open up the, the game a little bit more. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't know when he hasn't caught a, a ball. When you throw it to him, he had a couple of, he, what is he had, a touchdown that was called back and a couple other big plays, but he's a great player. But I think you've got to look the field over. You can't force the football. And you've got to be able to know down-distance situations, especially with the momentum, the way you change it with a block punt, you can't come back out and throw an interception. That's equally as bad. I mean, uh, I mean, with the loss of the momentum, and they would have put the game away early there with the block punt by Horton and so on, and, and we get an interception. So uh, when I say we, SC. So, uh, yes, I agree with you. I, I think he needs to cut this down the first two or three games of the year. I think the first two games of the year he was perfect. And then he started pressing a little bit and trying to force the ball in there on coverages where he shouldn't have thrown it. And he's had two interceptions the last two games. That's not good, and you're right. You're not going to be quality opponents when you do that. And turnovers will kill you, and people will start to question your ability of making the correct judgment. 
So it comes down to common sense again, knowing down-distance situations and not be worried about throwing the ball away if the play is not there. All right. Okay, well, thank you for that one, Tom, and good luck down there in SEC country. Last one. we got a local question, Coach. You've had questions from all over, all over North America. we got a local one from a big fan of yours, Guy. So here's Guy with his question. Hi, this is Guy, Coach, Ryan, uh, also sometimes I'm known as Zunes. Uh, I would like to know about the pistol offense. Uh, I know other people want to know about it. I looked it up. I see that nearly 30 teams are using it. Uh, I'm shocked about that. I'm wondering, I was looking for weaknesses to it because I know we're going to have to face it, and I'm wondering if you can forecast what Monty Monty Kiffin will do against it. Thank you very much. Fight on. Well, I'll tell you, I don't know what Monty Kiffin will do against it, but if you watch the UCLA game, the last year game of the year, that is uh, December the 4th, I believe it is, they're going to be facing the pistol offense in UCLA. And by that time, I think UCLA will have that thing screaming. I watched it in the spring at UCLA. I went to the spring game, and I didn't really feel that UCLA could run it. I, I just didn't, watching them, I, I, I just didn't think that they had the quarterback, the skilled athlete that could run well enough to run the pistol and so on. But they certainly have proved me wrong because to make it work, you've got to be have an offensive line that blocks well enough to make your run go. And they have certainly now changed that around the last two games of the year against Houston and Texas, especially their performance last weekend in Texas, to make me a believer. Uh, and also, Prince has really surprised me the last two weeks. Last week, uh, he had a nice run off the uh, option, and this past week, he had some nice runs off the option. And what they've done is they put him in a position where the defense really didn't expect, expect Prince to be the, the ball carrier. That's the quarterback. But if you watch other pistol offenses, if you watch Navarino, who Chris Saul developed the pistol offense and who did come down to UCLA to teach him the offense, their quarterback up there is a tremendous athlete, runs and throws the ball very well. So uh, how do you stop it? Well, I think, first of all, you've got to stop the run. You've got to stop the dive and the options, the reverse pivot powers and so on that they run off of it, depending now who they're most threatful running back is is it a running back or is it the quarterback if it's nevada reno uh, i'm going to take the quarterback out of the game but if you have both then you certainly have a trouble you have a problem with defense that means the only way you beat them is you keep their offense off the field by your offense driving the ball and keeping nevada or ucla's uh, offense off the field so uh what monty kiffin will do i don't know uh, I know that he'll have that opportunity, and, and if UCLA keeps improving with it, it's going to be a force, because I really was impressed by their past two games. I went to the Houston game, didn't have a chance to watch all of the Texas game because they went up against USC and Washington State. But uh, they, when you, when you rush for what did they did, 275 yards against the number one defensive front in the country against the rush, I'd say they're doing pretty good. So... How he'll stop it, I'm sorry I can't tell you, but I know it's going to be a challenge. Certainly will be, Coach. And, uh, J.C., we have one, one more question we'll squeeze in here real quick. It's similar. J.C. wanted to know about mobile quarterbacks in general, and you mentioned that when you face the pistol. But USC will face some different offenses, more spread offenses like Locker and Andrew Luck and uh, you know the guys up there in Oregon. Like, what, what do you think you have to do, this is from J.C., to defend the draw plays or quarterback draw scrambles and whose whose responsibility is it to cover the the quarterback or the running back there in those kind of option draw situations i'll tell you when you have an athlete at quarterback it really does cause a problem when i coached at unlv i had randall cunningham as my quarterback and you don't know the problems that caused defenses why because randall could run four five four six and he threw the ball like a bullet through the he could throw the ball 80 90 yards in the air and uh, if you uh gave him any running room at all he was gone in fact i think he's the one that brought more to the nfl than anybody else fran tarkington or anyone with as far as rushing yards if you remember buddy ryan as a rookie put him in on third and long situations during his rookie season because he had that running ability and and you're not it just gives you another weapon and and i i know when i was coaching at unlv we would spread the field swing our backs 
and uh, cause everyone to cover the middle of the field or the whole field, and we just drop back, and I tell Randall, run, just run straight up the middle, and he would do that, and uh, you can't stop it. You just can't stop the pass, and you can't stop a great athlete. It's just so difficult to do. With when you have great receivers, you have to cover too. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, uh, you've uh, you get great players, okay? Great players that can run too. But if you don't have great players that can run and and play against athletes like that, you don't have a chance. And I think today in college football, you're going to see faster and leaner defensive players than you've ever seen before. If you remember the great big slow 350 pound defensive guard and 330 defensive guard and so on could plug up the middle but today that's not going to be the fact when you play play these teams that have mobile and hostile offensive line and and backs that can run and also quarterbacks that can run these guys are out of the game half the time because they can't react quick enough to the football. So you've got to have leaner, meaner guys on the defensive line, play gaps, and try to stop people before they get started. And that's the number one thing. You've got to stop great players before they get started. If you allow a great player to get started, you are in difficult times. But if you've got players who can stop them and move and maybe are great athletes too, not maybe as great as the athletes that are playing as far as the quarterback or so on, but ones that can play and run and get to the football, you got a better chance. So you got to have speed on defense. All right. Well, Coach, a lot of questions today. Thank you very much for getting to all of them. And uh, it was great. I'm glad everyone called in. we got questions from all over the place. It's 206-888-6755 is the number. Leave us a voicemail. We'd love to answer your questions on the podcast. You can hear your voice. When you play it, send it to all your friends. Let them know, hey, I was on the Peristyle podcast. Pretty cool stuff. Thanks again, Coach. And uh, thanks to our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. And we'll uh, talk to you next week. Thanks, Ryan, and uh, have a great week. Yes, you too. Everyone else, we'll be back in 30 seconds talking more USC football with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined by USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Dan, how's everything going, man? You, you had a lot of trips lately. Yeah. That's for, uh, actually, I, I, I added uh, my own trip uh, back to our kind of a high school reunion the week that USC played Virginia. So I think, I, I think I've had 4,000 uh, miles or more each way trips each week. Uh, so... Uh, and three of them mostly across the country, it seems like. I swear, I I think I automatically, even though it's in the t- same time zone, if you go to Pullman, you count that as sort of going across the country. So, uh, yeah, it's been real interesting. I was just thinking yesterday we saw the offense in practice in their Cardinal jerseys. That's only the second out of the last eight weeks that they've, because the entire preseason they were in white for the, as a visiting team in Hawaii. And uh, so we've gone eight weeks. We've just seen them in their Cardinal jerseys. This is only the second week. So you realize you have been a road team um, if you're around this USC team right now. Yeah, certainly they've been road warriors, you could say. And I I think one of the things we talked about at practice this week, and I think you've mentioned this before, it was kind of USC's preseason. There was four games that were all certainly – winnable and uh usc won them all and you know now they've got some the meat of the pac-10 schedule coming in what what did you see coming out of that preseason how much do you think how important was it to like lane kiffin's you know kicking off his coaching tenure here at usc that he needed something like that to get on a get on some momentum after having such an awful offseason yeah i think what was nice is they kind of got away from the spotlight they got out you know away from the pressure they didn't have to necessarily live up to you know, whether, you know, what was the spread and how they do. And 
all that. I think they could focus on other things, and you know whether how that plays out, we don't know. But I think they were able to do their thing. I, I don't think they've absolutely shared with us exactly, you know, what that thing is. I, I, clearly, they've held stuff back. I mean, there's no. They were doing things in spring that we haven't seen since. Uh, and I think they thought, you know, we don't have to do that, and we can be pretty fundamental and pretty basic and uh, and let people, you know, really get to understand what we're trying to do and uh, and then pick it up as they get into, you know, starting this week. Uh, I think the fact that they weren't home, they didn't have to, you know, draw crowds at home, they didn't have to perform, um, you know, before the – you know, the home crowd and all that kind of thing. I, it was actually a good thing. I, I think now, you know, come back home, you've got a revenge game. you got got, uh, you know, somebody you know uh, with Steve Sarkeesian and, and all his coaches that uh, were at USC. You've got uh, uh, an upgrade in your schedule and in your an upgraded Pac-10 game that really matters. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've got a chance for the fans to kind of, you know, build a little bit around this team and uh, – uh, they're unbeaten, you know, whatever, for whatever, if you want to say, oh, they don't belong in the same class with the other three, uh, you know, Pac-10 unbeaten teams, well, we'll see. And that's the that's the great thing about this is we will see. They do play each other. You don't have to argue about it. They'll, uh, they'll be that game, and uh, you'll find out. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think the schedule could have done them any more favors in terms of allowing them to develop the way they wanted to develop. Uh, now we'll see. Uh, does it, you know, hurt them, you know, in terms of they weren't challenged maybe a little bit more early? I don't know. We'll see. I, I think that's the, the fascinating, you know, thing about this team and this season. It's not like any other that we've seen uh, uh, in recent years with USC. And uh, so we don't have anything exactly to measure it against. So, uh, so again, I think uh, we all know. Uh, and, and that ought to be the fun part of uh, – of being involved with the college football team is, uh, you know, let them play the game and let's see what happens and uh, and you know root for your uh, root for the Trojans, uh, you know and and you know they will play. Uh, they they build, you know, the Washington game. Then they go to Stanford and for one one time, you know, Stanford might be the team that's uh, where there's the great expectations. And maybe they get into a trap game because, you know, they played at Notre Dame last weekend. They go to Oregon this weekend. Then they get USC. And USC's got a little, uh, you know, revenge on their mind for that game. And I know that gets ahead of us, but that's happened in years past where USC always seem, seemed to be the team that was involved in the trap game where somebody uh, that they weren't looking for, uh, you know, maybe was able to catch them. So, this is a complete kind of turning it on its ear of how it used to be uh, for USC fans. And I'm not sure they absolutely know where they are right now, the USC <laughs> fan base, because it's so different uh, from, you know, what they've been used to. Yeah, it is. And I, I think that the, there's been a lot of, obviously, negative publicity and stuff around the program. And USC was excited to have that home game against Virginia. They go three and out a couple times. They turn the ball over. And they kind of took – what I thought was a good crowd out of the game. Now, I, I think the crowd's going to start off good again this Saturday against Washington, but, you know, a long drive by Jake Locker, some big plays and stuff. I think if USC turns the ball over or, or goes three and out, stuff like that, I think they could take the crowd out again. So I think it's kind of important for this team to start off on a roll because I really think they could keep that call. The fans are, are itching for something good, you know, and if they can see – Lane Kiffin go in there and punk his former co-worker, Steve Sarkeesian. I think the fans will really get into that. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, that echoes what, uh, you know, Matt Barkley has always said, uh, how important the first drive is. I think it's important to him. It's important to USC's team. I mean, I do think if you look at the Virginia game as a, probably the classic example of people wondering, were they holding stuff back? You know, was this, a, you know, a game, and I think Virginia came out, a better Virginia team than I think anybody expected, a little more physical, uh, a little bigger, stronger, you know, not the, the absolutely typical ACC team that you kind of expected. And, uh, and maybe caught them by, uh, caught them by surprise. And, and USC still felt, you know, we've got this under control. We're going to, you know, be all right. And they didn't really, you know, turn themselves loose. You didn't see a, a big, uh, you know, fancy game plan or anything. And, uh, 
you know, without that last, uh, giving up that, you know, classic last touchdown drive in the last two minutes, um, the game doesn't look terribly close, but, uh, but it did. And, uh, so I think, you know, the, the challenge for this USC team will be to get the fan base, uh, excited, you know, right away. And, and I think, you know, from what we saw in practice, they do look like, uh, they're, you know, developing, uh, you know, more weapons. They're, you know, showing more things. They're, you know, uh, I think being more aggressive on offense. And, and I would expect to see, uh, uh, to see that play out. I don't think we're going to see a, a real conservative, uh, you know, game plan. I, I think, you know, Lane, Lane can coach both ways. I think he's a, you know, he can coach that power run game where, you know, you just, uh, you know, uh, physically, you know, dominate and, and, and dominate the football, but he also is certainly willing to, you know, throw it down the field and challenge people and open it up and all that. And, and for us, you know, we go to practice and we're still not sure, which way, uh, you know, which way the game's going to go. And, uh, you know, you talk to the players, and they're not always sure themselves. I mean, last week was a perfect example. Stanley Havili had no idea he was going to carry the ball in that first play. Ends up, you know, 59-yard touchdown run, and, you know, it opened the game uh, for USC on offense. So uh, that's why uh, it is important, I think, to let the game uh, let the game play out, see what happens. And uh, uh, I, I think this it has broken perfectly, though, in terms of, of the schedule uh, and how it's developed and who they're playing, when, and where. Uh, I don't think they could have scripted it any more exactly to what this team needed and what this program needed at this point in time. I, I think it was much better to be on the road three of the first four games, kind of be able to develop that sense of who the team is and, you know, and uh, and come home and, uh, and you know, play, uh, you know, Three of the next four are at home. You've got the big revenge game at Stanford. Uh, you know they've got a chance to to really um, you know set the table for something that that would really have people excited. You know, but they've got to do it on the field, and we'll see. I don't think we know yet. No, it's true, and I think trending wise, and I've mentioned this a bunch of times before. If you looked at Kiffin and his staff at Tennessee, it took them a little while to kind of get to get better. I think most of the trends on this team are getting better. The penalties have gone down. Uh, it looks like the offensive line is playing a lot better. It looks like the, the defense is starting to come together and play better. I mean, there's there's some not as good trends. I think the, the, the interceptions, Matt Barkley throwing a couple picks in the last in the last two games, that's not a trend that you'd like to see. You start off with none in the first couple, then he has four over the next two. I mean, trend-wise, do you see them mostly going in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, essentially, you know, all, and, and you could put a trend, you know, about, uh, you know, what kind of health they're in. And, uh, you know, uh, Wes Horton was a little bit of a uh, a positive sign when he, uh, you know, went back in uh, yesterday at practice and put his, uh, you know, pads on. Uh, I'm not sure they expected him to be able to do that. Now, whether that plays out as to whether he can play Saturday or not, you know, Armand Armstead certainly looks uh, – you know, like he's back. Uh, Nick Perry doesn't seem to be. I, I was walking next to him after the Washington State game where he played, you know, most of the way and uh, said he was fine, felt great. The ankle, uh, you know, he's got, you know, got a brace on it, but he doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, too limited. So, you know, in terms of health, uh, you know, they've got guys coming back rather than, you know, losing people. And, and that really matters. I mean, we were looking at Washington State last week. After three games, they had lost five starters for the season. Uh, USC hasn't lost anybody, uh, you know, that they, they figured as a starter. So uh, uh, that trend line, to, you know, is, is going pretty well. I do think that, you know, they have to deal with the, uh, uh, the you know, the interception issue. And some of that, I think Lane's got an interesting take on that. His take is the better they do – the more excited, you know, and more successful they are in offense, he said that kind of has a tendency to get uh, Matt kind of geared up to, I've got to join, you know, with the crowd. And I, and if we're going down the field every time and scoring every time, well, I maybe I need to throw a touchdown every time. Matt says that's not the case. Now, he didn't agree with Lane's, you know, assessment yesterday. He said, uh, oh, no, 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 that's not, that's not what it is. But uh, it does look like 
the better they're doing all around on offense, maybe uh, it puts uh, Matt in a little danger of trying to uh, just do too much, uh, make the, you know too good a throw, or make you know make a throw where he didn't need to make it. Now he said yesterday, "Oh, I can throw it away. I don't mind throwing an incompletion or whatever." But I mean, I do think that sometimes it does show that he's just early in his sophomore year. Uh, and we tend to forget that because he's been the team spokesman because he started his entire freshman year. But, uh, but I do think some of that comes only with just seasoning. Just keep playing. You've got to play enough games, see enough things, come, get comfortable enough to know that the best thing you can do and the most successful thing you can do on some plays is throw the ball in the stands, you know, throw it out of the end zone. Heck with it. You know, that, you've made a great play. When you do that, uh, you don't have to throw a touchdown pass to make a great play. And uh, I think he's certainly heard that enough here in the last uh, you know, few weeks. So, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I think it was interesting. I remember I did the Angels for a while, covered the Angels, and I do remember during that two-year run that Frankie Rodriguez had where he was the best closer in baseball. <laughs> and it finally hit him once. He's there sort of at the end of his kind of run with the Angels, and, and he, it hit him. We were all standing there after the game, a game where he had maybe, you know, one of his rare uh, blown saves. And he walks up, and it all of a sudden it hit him. He said, you guys are only here when I do something bad. And we were talking to Matt yesterday, and he said, I know you guys only asked me about the interceptions. And it's like, you know, he's almost like more media savvy. He knows why we're there. Because uh, at this point, you know, when you start off, you know, the first seven, uh, you know, you have seven touchdown passes, no interceptions in the first two games, and, you know, you're leading the country in touchdown passes. At that point, that stuff becomes accepted. And the, the newsworthiness is the uh, when you don't throw one, when you throw a pick. And but, but Matt yesterday said, I know what you're going to ask me about. Yeah, and, and he was certainly right. That's what we're going to ask you about. Uh, so, uh, so that's incentive for him. You know, that's incentive for him not to throw. Beyond his years in understanding how this all works, and now he's just got to catch up. You know, he started 16 games in his career, and uh, I think we get ahead of that because he's been kind of the team spokesman. Uh, for much of last year, and certainly for the year, you know, the transition, the sanctions, all that kind of stuff, he, you know, and just finishing up his first year, starting his second year, and uh, we probably expect more of him than uh, than uh, his age and his experience would uh, would warrant that he he be able to do at this point. All right. Uh, well, let's uh, get a couple questions here, Dan. This is from Jim Rizzo. A lot of linebacker questions we've had, and they're going to continue to come, I'm sure. But he is uh, surprised that Devon Kennard has been playing all the snaps at middle linebacker. He was out of positions in so many plays in both games, and I think Chris Gallipo should be seeing the field more. I'm sure Gallipo would like to be given more of a truthful picture of where he stood when the opportunity to transfer was a reality. Being a special teams player uh, is an insult to a player of his stature. What do you, so what do you think about the whole middle linebacker situation there? That's, that, that's Jim well, Rizzo's I mean, I opinion. I think they clearly... They look at Devon, you know, as a 240-pound, tremendously quick, uh, very smart uh, athlete uh, that has been able to pretty much do everything they've asked of him. And, and, you know, they talk about the fact that he started last year, you know, much of last year he had his hand down on the ground as a defensive end, went to an outside linebacker. Now he's middle linebacker. Uh, I know they talked about how they really – spent a lot of time auditioning him, talking to him, understanding whether he had the kind of mentality to, you know, to play middle linebacker. Uh, you know, I saw in the spring, for example, we were calling the eraser. I mean, if they'd run a play, you know, to the sideline, chances are he was running somebody right out of bounds, you know, and, and giving you some of that, you know, Ray Malaluga kind of, uh, you know, physical force and what have you. It does look like, uh, at times, he's in places or his instincts take him to places that you would think, okay, he's not supposed to be there. But there's not a single coach that, you, that we can talk to who says he hasn't shown 
great instincts. And I know that seems counterintuitive when you watch the game and and you see him in places or take the first step that looks like he's you know misreading misreading the play. I do think the uh, you know the I guess it's the Virginia game where he really got all the snaps was a was a case of they really wanted to force feed him uh, and get him as you know they think there's nothing you can do to replace experience other than just play. You got to play. You got to play. You got to play. Uh, then I think they realized they didn't play Gallipo enough. I think the factor with Gallipo is it does look like he's had two back surgeries, and it doesn't he doesn't exactly look like the same player in terms of just being able to deliver a blow and handle the the kind of pounding play after play after play. Now when he's out there, he certainly looks like he's getting the job done. It certainly he's such a factor and, and, and pass, uh, pass breakups and, you know, uh, you know, being around the football and being alert and hustling and doing a lot of great things, you know, whether the breakdown, I think it was Minnesota was like 49 plays for Kennard and 18 plays for Gallipo, whether that comes a little bit closer, whether they start uh, doing uh, some of the things they said that they were going to do where they said they were going to have Gallipo as the first backup at all three positions or not. We haven't seen that yet, uh, but I think it's a it's a matter of uh, they really do believe in Kennard in terms of his his physical qualities, in terms of his um, you know mental ability, and in terms of uh, just where he's come in the last you know season uh, and where they think he can get to, and so uh, you know I would I would say that even if you sit there and you think what's going on we don't have a linebacker that's in the right place at this particular time they think he's really done well and uh, they think he's the answer there and they think Gallipo is perfectly placed as as the guy who uh, uh, plays as much as uh, as his his back for example will allow him to play I mean I think everybody saw last year he certainly got worn down as the year went on and he certainly you know it was it was asking a lot for him to, to do what they were asking him to do and, get, and you know, like the Stanford and Oregon games and things like that. And nobody wants to see that again either. But but I do think, you know, pay attention to that linebacker situation. And, you know, I think it's probably the key, uh, you know, to this season. How does that develop? How do they work that out? They think it's going pretty well. I know a lot of fans, uh, you know, watch the games, they'll replay the games, and they'll wonder – if it really is, all we can tell you is they think it's um, the coaches like the way it's going, and they like Canard's uh, instincts, and they love his you know physical and and his mental skills. He's done a great job calling the uh, calling the signals, recognizing you know offensive formations and things like that, which is a you know that's a terrific uh, you know ability to be able to pick that up uh, the way he has. So. Uh, uh, I think that's you know that's one of those classic work in progress. We'll see, but uh, but it's something to keep an eye on, and I don't think we know um, the final answer yet. All right, now one last thing, Dan, I wanted to get to. This is from Mark. It's a hypothetical question about the NCAA. We've had not as many sanctions questions lately. Luckily, that's kind of mostly going away. But I thought this was interesting. He wanted to know if Reggie turned his mom and dad into the NCAA upon receiving the information that they had accepted benefits from. Lloyd, they called him Larry Lake. His name is Lloyd Lake. Uh, yeah. Would he have been disciplined since the NCAA rules apply to both the athlete and the family, or would he have been exempt since he came forward? What do you think? Well, I mean, I think the NCAA. I mean, I think USC got pounded because the NCAA didn't think the US, that USC helped them enough in the investigation. I don't think even though in the report the NCAA won't say that, which drives you crazy when you think, uh, you know, clearly there's a reason why they, they went after USC the way they did. I do think uh, anything that Reggie would have done to help the NCAA, uh, to help USC, to help clear things up in the first few years would have really helped the situation. I think it would have helped tremendously. I think, it, you know, I, I, you wish USC also would have been more forthcoming in terms of publicly 
requesting that Reggie do that and, and, and maybe pressuring him. I mean, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of things uh, after it's all over uh, with, you know, with regard to Reggie. Uh, but had they done more before this? They had four year, almost four years to do that. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, obviously one of the things, we still don't know how did this thing start. Who did it start with? Was Reggie involved from the very beginning? We have no idea. We don't know when Reggie actually did get involved in it. Uh, you know, it's very, it's really, I mean, and USC suffering some tremendously, you know, long-term penalties that are going to, you know, probably hurt kids in the long run in terms of just physically. I mean, they're, you know, kids are going to have to play uh, maybe more plays. The kids will be on their own. Uh, expecting themselves to play maybe at times when they shouldn't be playing. And, you know, USC will try to catch that and what have you. But they're going to put some tremendous, uh, you know, uh, uh, challenges to USC physically, I mean, uh, uh, financially. I mean, multi-millions of dollars USC is going to lose in support probably and and gate receipts and all kinds of other things that uh, they'll never get back. And... uh, to do that and not really know what actually happened, I mean, I don't think there's anybody that can tell you right now they know with certainty what happened. When did it start? Uh, what were the original agreements? Where was Reggie involved in all of that? Uh, we don't know. And uh, anything that would have helped clear that up early in the proceedings would have been a tremendous help to USC and I think would have really uh, impacted the sanctions. And uh, that, that none of that happened, and nobody even kind of got involved in all of this until, you know, we were talking after the sanctions were dropped on USC, uh, indicates, uh, you know, that, that everybody that was involved in it, Reggie and USC and what have you, really misread what was going on and what was going to come down. And, uh, you know, I... I, I, I don't want to second guess, but I had said, you know, originally that I thought by letting it go past a year, I thought USC made a tremendous mistake uh, uh, and should have, whatever they knew after a year, USC needed to come forth. Uh, they needed to, at that point, say, we need to know more about this. We need help from Reggie. Uh, we need, you know, we're asking you, Reggie. Uh, and I would have started putting pressure on Reggie at that at that moment, and uh, that would have really benefited USC, I think, uh, at that point in time. It's hindsight now, but uh, but I think you know I was one of the people who said that before the sanctions came down, that USC had kind of convicted itself by not acting and by not being more aggressive in terms of trying to get Reggie, uh, you know, to come forth. But I think anything Reggie would have done would have helped USC, and the fact that he did nothing and, and, and essentially hasn't done anything even now. I mean, when he so-called apologies, you know, or whatever, uh, he's never really said what happened uh, and what he knew and what anybody at USC knew. I mean, you would think potentially he could have exonerated some people at USC or some connections to USC. He hasn't done that. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I think he could still help him there, but he hasn't. Now, you know, some people can take the uh, the bad inference there as well. That's because, uh, you know, he it, would, it wouldn't exonerate him or whatever. Well, you know, I think at this point uh, maybe none of that matters, but uh, but it would have been nice if, uh, if he'd have been, you know, out front and if USC would have been able to get out in front of the story instead of having to do all this afterward. I mean, it's really hard to catch up, uh, you know, with a new athletic director and a new president and all that after all this has come down on them. I mean, uh, you know, they never should have gotten these kinds of sanctions. I mean, if you look at any historical precedent with the NCAA and what happened and what the NCAA ended up doing, there's no, there's no, uh, you have no way of saying that was justified. So obviously the NCAA made the decision based on something other than any connection to anything that had ever happened uh, previously. And uh, I think uh, anything that Reggie could have done would have probably changed that. But, 
it's probably too late now. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, we appreciate it. Thanks very much for joining us again on the podcast. We'll see you out there at practice and over at the Coliseum. Very good. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Thank you, Dan, and everyone else. Enjoy your weekend of college football. Enjoy the USC game at the Coliseum. Hopefully we can see you out there when they take on Washington, and we'll talk to you on the podcast next week. You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.